I have a message entitled Created in Christ. Uh, if you have the church app, my commercial for, for today, again, it, the, the outlines are in there. You can fill in the blank and all those things like that. But before we get to Ephesians chapter 4, I want to read a couple verses and then we'll, we'll turn to Ephesians. Actually, if you want to go to Ephesians 2 and 4, we'll, we'll jump through there a little bit. But, but while you're there, hopefully you're already there. But in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, a very popular passage there in, in verse number 8. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. Notice these last, next phrase, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. And now switch over to Ephesians 4, and I want you to begin. Let's just go ahead and read this entire chapter. I'll try to read it with enthusiasm so I don't put you to sleep here. But verse number 1 says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and bond, in the bond of peace. Verse 4 says, There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. In you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Verse 8 says, Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that he, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and complicated or compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So this first task talks about the church bringing us together and then notice some responsibilities of the church, some responsibilities why we are created or because we are created in Christ. Verse 17 says, This say I therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. In other words, our Christ is risen. He doesn't live according to these things. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, 
which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angering and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, Almighty Father, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to be here this morning. We thank you for your holy word, your holy scriptures, Lord, that are able uh, to lead us into a saving knowledge and a saving relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, meet with us this morning. Lord, this whole morning has been seasoned with prayer, Lord, from, uh, from all of us here, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you meet with us. Meet with us in a way, Lord, that we know that it's you. Lord, use these words, Lord, and, and, and use me, Lord, to be a mouthpiece for you, Lord, as, as Tyler's already mentioned. Lord, help me to be surrendered. Lord, help me to be as part of the, a part of the message, Lord, a surrendered man and, and not to be a distraction from the message. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we can all have our hearts open this morning and have you, the Holy Spirit, Lord, your Holy Spirit, touch us and speak to us and mature us in a way, Lord, that we know again that it's from you, Lord. Guide us this morning, Lord. Meet with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So created in Christ Jesus is, uh, is, is, the, is the title of this message this morning here from Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians 5.17 again. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we as Christians, no surprise, I hope it's no surprise, we are created in Christ. We are created in Christ. And I want to point out that only God creates. We know that. Even in the Old Testament, we have in the beginning, God created. That word created is in the Hebrew. It's always has God as his subject. To create means to make something out of nothing. Only God creates. So this new creation, this inner man that we talked about last week, uh, only comes from God by grace through faith. Because right before that verse there in Ephesians chapter 2, if, you're, if you want to jump back over there, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, right before the phrase created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2 verse 8 states, for, for by grace are ye saved. For by grace are ye saved. There is none of this this morning without grace and without faith. So strictly speaking, we see here in the text that this new creation, uh, I think it's clear, is equal to and requires personal salvation by grace through faith. Before anything is created with, within us, before any new man is within us, we must exercise faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It is all by grace, but that grace runs on the rails of our faith. We have to exercise our faith in a personal Savior. Everything is based upon that. If you're here this morning and you get a whole lot of other things and you miss the personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've missed it all. You have missed it all. Everything in this book for God's children are based, is based on a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no creation without a relationship with Christ. In fact, if you really study this book out, not one, not one of the eternal superlative promises in Scripture 
or for any or, or for anyone outside of the redeemed family of God. You can't take these scriptures with you and, and apply these promises to your life if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be redeemed. We must be reconciled. We must be saved. We must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you spend three years here or 50 years here, yeah, amen for the 50-year part and the three-year part, and you, you leave here, know that it's all based on a relationship with Christ. You must have that. It all begins with that. You cannot live the victorious life without Christ. And thankfully, God made salvation quite simple to receive. Did He not? I mean, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I mean, if we were looking for the way and we found that verse, Jesus says, I'm the way. It's so simple. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And if that were, were not clear enough for us to comprehend, if that, was not, if that were not clear enough for the world to comprehend, the Bible states in Romans 3 and 6 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But verse 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, of Romans 10, 9, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be saved. Now, I know that you go to some churches, and uh, hopefully it's not here. We hear the salvation message preached over and over and over again, and it falls dull in our ears. Don't let that happen to us. Uh, the salvation message, the preaching of the gospel is power, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's where we get faith and victories and, and the strength to overcome today's challenges. The preaching of the cross, this is what we are here for. And I like the simplicity of it. Thou shalt be saved. Do this, then this. I mean, there's enough confusion in this world, is there not? Salvation is not one of them. Salvation is not one of them. And then when we are saved, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.19 that we are no more strangers. No more strangers and foreigners. But we are fellow citizens with the saints. We have been made of the household of God. Praise the Lord. I mean, we had a family here not too long ago, the Saddam family, and they, they adopted a couple children. And just think about, you know, they're, they're older now. Think about where they could have been and all those things. And as they look back when they get, when they get in, into their adulthood, they're going to look back and like, wow, these folks did something wonderful for me. I love the story of adoption. I love the idea of adoption in today's world. It's in every culture almost for, for a family to reach out into a, a child that has no family. And that's, that's a picture of what God has done for us. We are brought into that family, no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens in the family of God. We become the children of God by faith in Christ. And if any man be in Christ, what is he? A new creature. A new creature. I think we've, we've overlooked the fact that we are new creatures many times in our Christian life today. But we are a new creature and as we begin this morning, I want to ask immediately, are you a new creature in Christ? Are you a new creature? This is not something that you can create. It's not something that you can achieve. We cannot work for our salvation. It must be something created within us by grace through faith. It's not something we achieve. It's something we receive. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, As many as received him, to them gave he power 
to become the sons of God. That word power speaks of power of authority. So as many as receive Jesus Christ, He has authorized us to become the children of God, which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It is all God. God and God alone who creates, and He chooses to create. God chooses to create based upon the exercise of our faith in His Son. Oh, the unsearchable riches of God's grace. Have you by faith this morning repented of all that you are and by faith turned to Christ? Have you turned? Has there been a time in your life when you accepted Christ as your Savior? You realized that I am not worthy. I cannot reach any, any height, uh, any respect, any, any standard with God that I can enter heaven. And you realize that I have nothing to offer before God. But what I have, I have offered. And he's accepted because I've accepted him. Have you been created in Christ? If in your heart of hearts this morning and before God this morning, you profess that you are in fact a new creature in Christ, which I hope is the case for all of us. Notice verse 10 of chapter 2. The Bible says to Christians, Paul writes to believers that we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are created for a purpose. Not just created to be redeemed, just to give God glory, which it does, but we are created with a purpose. We are created to work for God. Created to work. I mean, think about that. I, most of us, when we, were, when we were a child, I accepted uh, the Lord as my Savior when I was 19. My daughter, around four, she probably didn't think, it's time to go work for the Lord. But that is God's purpose for us. We've been created to work for Him. We've been created to walk in His ordinances, specific to that text there. Next week, we'll look at what it means to walk in those ordinances. But today, I want to focus on Ephesians 4 and what it means for us to be created in Christ. Look at verse 17 of chapter 4. The Bible says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. So after describing a little bit about, that's the closing verse of that little segment there, Paul argues for a number of reasons now in the following part about how and why we should be different as Christians. Notice again verse 24. Jump all the way down to verse 24. The Bible says, and that ye put on the new man. We are to put on the new man. And that's our first point this morning. We are to put on the new man. As Christians, we have been given that inner man already. We talked about that last week. We've been, we, we are already created in Christ Jesus, but there's an active part in our lives that we must put on that new man. I've already mentioned that we as Christians are new creatures because God created that new man. And if you think about it, we are patterned after God. We are triune beings made of body, mind, and spirit, and our body is where we are, our mind is who we are, and our spirit is what we are. And there's a number of different ways to explain those things, but in my mind, that's the simplest approach. And it is this last part, our spirit, that has been quickened. It's been made alive. It is our new man, if you will, our inner man. The new man is born by grace through faith into God's family. And think about this. Similar to how we did not exist before we were born physically, Right? No surprise. Our new man did not exist before we were born spiritually. Jesus himself referred to it as being born again. 
We're born once physically, and now we're born spiritually when we exercise our faith in Jesus Christ. Again, I want to point out it's not something we can create. It's something we receive. But it's also something to which we should yield. That inner man, the spirit, the new man. And even though we are a new creation in Christ, and our new man truly defines our eternal identity in Christ, we must make a point to follow that new man. We must make a point to choose to follow Christ in that new man. In other words, there's obviously, if there's a new man, and the text even tells us this, there's also an old man. There's an old man. That's who we used to be spiritually. The dead man. Without hope, without Christ. The old you. The old man. He's still there, by the way. And in Scripture, he or she is referred to as the flesh or the body or that which has carnal or sinful desires. All those things that are, that are opposing God. That's what that old man uh, represents. And even though this old man is very active, unfortunately, he is very influential in our lives. And he operates according to our, our fleshly desires. If you were in Christ that, this morning, that old man is dead. He's dead. He doesn't want to be dead, but he's dead. Notice Romans chapter 6. I got it up on, on the screen here. But the Bible says in Romans 6 verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Notice that phrase in verse 6, our old man is crucified. That's a part of salvation. We get that, and I know there's, there's books and, and, and gallons of ink spilt on repentance and, and faith and how all that works together. The old man must be crucified. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. We must put our old man down and take on the new man. That is a part of salvation. We, repentance is, you know, you're going a certain way away from God, and you turn from that. You crucify that direction, if you will. Circumcision is a picture of that, cutting off that old man and turning into the Lord Jesus Christ, crucifying. Galatians 2.20, Paul wrote that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. We must be crucified. And again, even though as Christians we are indeed new creatures in Christ, we must put forth effort to put on that new man. We must put on that new man, which is Christ Ephesians 4.22 and 24 again. Look at those passages again. 4.22 says, Put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt to the deceitful lust. And then verse 24, And put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And true holiness. So we are to put off the old man and put on the new man. It's quite, it's quite simple. Simple to understand, not simple to accomplish. But notice the contrast between the old man and the new man. The old man is corrupt according to deceitful lust. The new man is created in righteousness and in true holiness. Friends, if you have been created in Christ Jesus, you are free. You're free. I mean, and to live those old ways, I know I've used this analogy probably way too many times, but you think of Lazarus as he, as he comes out of that tomb. He's all bounded in those bandages, those death clothes, and God loosed him. God freed him. He gave him life. He said, take off those bandages, take off those death clothes, those grave clothes, and live. 
So spiritually speaking, we look at that. We're like many Christians are like Lazarus. We come out of that death, out of the grave, the old man. We crucify him. We come out of the tomb, if you will. God takes off those grave clothes and we live for a little bit in the faith. And then we just start putting some of those grave clothes back on. We just start wrapping those things up. And before you know it, we're living among the dead. We're living among the spiritually dead. And there's nothing different about our new creation, about our new man. We are created in righteousness and true holiness. We are free. We no longer have to yield to those deceitful lusts. We've been created by God himself. By God himself. In fact, when we put on the new man... We are yielding ourselves to the person who created that new man. It is like putting off self and putting on the Savior. The Bible states in Romans 13, 14, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to put him on. Now think of that as uh, my years gone by in, in the military. You, know, you get up in the morning and you're going to go to work. Maybe you're, a, maybe you're deployed in a, in a faraway land and you're putting on that uniform of a soldier. And you go out and you do soldierly duties. Many of us need to put back on Jesus Christ in the morning. Put on that new man like we put on a jacket and go serve in a way that represents that new man. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. A new man. And back in Ephesians, I want to also point out that our creation in Christ doesn't only yield a new man but also a new mind. Look at verse 23. It says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. No, I went a little bit backwards there in the text there. We went back to verse 23. But if our spirit is what we are, as in dead or alive, as in in Christ or not in Christ, our mind is who we are. Our mind is who we are. It's that part of us that is in charge of us. It's our thinkers, our feelers, our decision makers, our minds. Everything is about are controlled by us, by our mind. But unlike our new man, our new mind is not a new creation. It is not a new creation. And if you really think about it, to replace this, to replace who we are, would be to replace us. And if this were the case, redemption would not be necessary. God could just create a whole bunch of individuals if that's where the case was. But his goal is not to replace us. Praise God, it's to redeem us. God wants to redeem us. And his love for us as, as a new creation in Christ, there also comes a great vulnerability to God. One commentator put it all, to love it all is to be vulnerable. You probably know who I'm talking about. To love it all is to be vulnerable. If we love somebody, it opens us up to be wounded by that person we love. It's no different with God. He creates us, and even as new creatures in Christ, we still have to choose what's right. We have to choose what's right, even as new creatures in the family of God. But the difference is that as Christians who have been created in Christ, with that new inner man, we've been given the ability to live right. We've been given the ability to bring glory to God in our actions. What's that verse that says, something along the lines that God will always provide a way for us to escape. The temptation will never be too strong for us not to get away from it. So if you really 
understand that, the way I understand it is every time we sin, which is true already, we make a choice to sin. There's never an opportunity, there's never a chance where we get to a position where, hmm, I was forced into sinning. It all is yielded or rooted back in your own choices. Now, you might bring yourself to a place based on a prior decision that puts you in that position, but we all make a decision. God has given us the ability as Christians to rise above the challenges in this world, to rise above sin and to live a glorious life, a glory life, a life that brings glory to Him. And all of that is controlled by our minds. Our minds. Paul wrote to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, again, we must put forth effort to live right. The onus is on us. We must do what's right. The new mind is to sanctification what the new man is to salvation. The mind is therefore the battleground between the old man and the new man. Even in the text, the old man in verse 22 and the new man in verse 24 is separated by a renewed mind in verse 23. And in Romans 12, 2, the Bible says to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So our minds need to be constantly renewed so they can be constantly transformed. You can even say that there's no transforming our minds without renewing of our minds. And back in Romans 12, 2, he specifically says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You might ask how one gets a renewed mind and therefore a transformed mind. And it's really quite simple. What we put in our minds changes our minds. It's quite simple, yes? I mean, if you put junk in front of your eyes and, and your ears and all these things, well, it's going to influence your mind. The Bible says in Proverbs, I think it is, put no unclean thing before you. Put no ungodly thing before you. A good transformation requires good ingredients. I mean, there's somebody I know that likes to make brownies, and she's gotten really good at it over the last uh, couple months. But if you put bad ingredients in the brownies, if you put nothing that goes along with brownies, you're not going to get brownies. And the same thing goes with our walk with the Lord. If we put all kinds of things into our mind, it's no surprise when those things start to come back out. When I was first saved many, many years ago, I got away from the Lord for a while. And as I was trying to get back with the Lord, trying to make those cognizant decisions to serve God, my mouth was one of the hardest things to control. Not just bad language, but saying the wrong thing at the wrong time for the wrong reason. And all those things combined, it is controlled by my mind. And then it kind of dawned on me. Maybe if I controlled what I put in here, it would be easy to control what comes out. And it works. You can even control your dreams, to be honest with you. Romans talks about that we can bring every thought into the captivity of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? We fall in love with this book. We fall in love with God's people. When I was a child, 14 or 15, y'all remember those Rubik Cubes? I could never do the square one. That would blow my mind. You probably did, didn't you? No? The triangle one, though, I was a master. I felt like I was a genius of those things. And we were at school. We'd have races. There was a couple of kids that beat me, but I think they cheated. I'm pretty sure you can't cheat with that. You know? But anyway, we were playing with those things. And I had, it was so much into my mind that I would go to sleep and I would dream about those, those turns in here. Because it was so in my mind. Ridiculous. Right? But as I grew and matured in the faith, 
this is what I need to be thinking about. I need to be dreaming about how Joshua tackled Jericho like we read about this morning, right? We need to talk about the Word of God, the Ten Commandments, Christ on the cross, all those things that He's done for us. These are the things that we need to permeate our minds with. These are the things that make us walk on water in this life. Not for glory, not for arrogance, but to walk above the sins that usually drown us. God has given us the tools to stay above those things. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. The more we renew our minds with the things of the Lord, the more our minds will be transformed for the Lord. Remember, you control you. You are in charge of you. We've had a long discussion about Calvinism and who makes salvation and all those things. We settled that in the Council of Hermannsdorf not too long ago. But you are in charge of you. I mean, think about it. If God made you serve Him, where's the glory in that? But when you choose to serve Him, you bring God great glory. You control you. You are in charge of yourself. And when we as Christians individually use that free will to worship God, to obey God, you bring great glory to God. And it begins with a new man created in Christ Jesus, with a new mind that chooses Christ, that always chooses Christ. Was that what Joshua said? As for me and my house, I'm going to say it to Tennessee, well, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. No matter what, we are going to go to, we're going to serve the Lord. But Paul didn't leave it at that. He didn't leave it as a new man, a new man and a new mind. He, he went a little further. He goes into some specifics. I think he gets into the weeds here. He gets kind of personal if you ask me. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul was moved to give the Ephesian Christians and us a little more information about this new creation in Christ. And after teaching us how we should put on that new man instead of the old man, again, he, gets, he gives some specific examples on how and why we should put on that new man. And back in Romans 12, too, before we get to that, his reason there was that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Right? So that's, that's a broad, one-over-the-world picture. You want to live right according, because it's the will of God. But here he kind of breaks that down a little bit more. Look at verse 22. Again, he wrote that we are to put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. That word conversation is, a, is an interesting word. And it's more than just what comes out of our mouth. It's all communication. It includes everything. It includes your conduct, your behavior, your manner of life. So because we are a new creation in Christ, evidence of our new man and even our new mind will be displayed in our new manners, our new manner. This is why I think Paul gets personal here. He gets down into the weeds. He says, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, all those things here. He gets into the business here with the Ephesian Christians. He doesn't just say, be good, be Christian, be safe, be good, and be Christian. He gets into the details. He says, hey, when you go out the door, you don't lie, you be honest, you don't steal, you don't do these things over and over and over again. He's telling these Christians to do this. And in verse 25 of chapter 4, it actually begins, it's probably marked there on your Bible, it begins a new paragraph. It begins a new paragraph in your Bible that closes out this chapter, but it's connected with the word wherefore. In other words, Paul's about... What Paul's about to write is hinged on what 
has just been written in verse 24 and prior. In other words, because you are created in Christ, because you are created in righteousness and true holiness, because you are a Christian, there are some things that should characterize your conversation. There are some things that should characterize your conduct. We should have Christ-like manners. Now, I remember when I was, I went to a Christian school. Um, I think I've been to a public college, one or two classes. But other than that, all of my education has been Christian education. So I've been hearing some good preachers and some bad preachers tell me for years, you need to live right and you do this. And I remember being a teenager and even in my, in my, in my late 20s, I'm so tired of hearing you tell me how to live. What gives you the right to tell me how to live? All those things here. Well, this is the Word of God. Now, those preachers maybe could have done a better way of doing it, but that's, that's not why I didn't want it. I just didn't want to be told. I had a rebellious heart. I didn't want to live right. I wanted my liberties. I'm a Christian. I have liberty. I can do whatever I want to do, right? It's true, but why would you if you realize the love that God's given you? If you realize the eternal life that God's given us? And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. If you really got a hold of the grace that God's given you, if you really get a hold of the cross and you see what Christ has done for you, He's given you so much, why would we live like we're among the dead? Live with life. And in these last few verses, Paul contrasts about ten things that we shouldn't, that should not characterize the manners of a Christian with about ten things that should. Now, we won't take the time to go specifically through all one of them, but I would like to introduce to you as we close out this morning what is called a principle or the principle of replacement. It won't take too long here. We're about done. But look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, Wherefore, put in away lying, speak every man the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So the principle of replacement, instead of lying, speak the truth. We replace lying with truth. Even though it is a commandment, Thou shalt not lie. The reason given here is that we are all the same body. I mean, lying, just in general, bearing false witness is a wrong thing to any person, saved or unsaved. But when we lie against a Christian or to a Christian, it is illogical. We are the same body. We're the same members. It's like, it's like your right hand hurting your left hand. It makes really not a whole lot of spiritual sense. We're the same family. So replace our lying with with honesty. And I know that's simple, right? It's a whole lot more difficult than I think we give it credit for. A whole lot more difficult. I know he says lying here, but you ever think about what bearing false witness is? That means you're not even lying with your words, but you're given the idea of something that is not true. You're bearing false witness. That should not be among Christians. And then look at verse 26 and 27. The Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. These are all good principles. So instead of being a slave to your wrath, be angry and sin not. We are justified at being angry at sin. There are some things that should aggravate us. Jesus himself turned over some tables when they blasphemed the temple. There are some things that should give us righteous and holy anger. But we are not to be a slave to that anger. We are to be in control. The Greek word for wrath means rage. Rage. And unjustified anger. Not letting the sun go down upon that rage is a proverbial meaning to put it away quickly. 
If you're angry, figure out how it is to get rid of it. If you're angry with your spouse or your children, you need to get it away from you. Because failing to follow this principle of replacement in a timely manner will give the devil himself a foothold in your life. Be ye angry and sin not. Let the sun not go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Many Christians, I think, me included from time to time, have allowed the devil to destroy many relationships through a foothold that we gave him through bitterness and unjustified anger. I think I've mentioned it a couple times before. There's, there's, there's friends that won't talk to each other because they stole their parking space some 40 years ago. It's just ridiculous. It's bitterness. And, and quite honestly, the differences we usually have are like that. They're so trivial. But Satan is a master at making a mountain out of a molehill. He is a master at taking those little bitty old trivial things and just splitting churches and splitting marriages and splitting friendships. Don't give him an inch. Keep him out. Don't be bitter. Be better. And then look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now this principle is unique and contrary, I think, to most thinking. The true replacement for stealing is not the absence of theft. It's giving. It's giving. Refraining from stealing is an important first step, no doubt, followed by finding a job and being able to give. But that circuit, that circle is not complete until the thief gives. That's the principle of replacement. And then look at verses 29 and 30. It says, Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit, of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. We are to replace, replace corrupt communication with edifying speech. It not only ministers grace to the hearers, but it pleases the Holy Spirit of God. And then lastly, look at verses 31 and 32. The Bible says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We are to replace bitterness and all those things, wrath, anger, clamor, and malice, by being kind one to another. You know, what happened to kindness? <laughs> no, I mean, where did it go? I mean, it used to be so kind. We used to walk by somebody on, on a street and, hey, Don, I mean, it's, it seems like it's dying. Be kind. Make it a point. Go out of your way to be kind. Be kind one to another, tenderhearting, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. In summary, our manner of life that Paul talks about, our new manners, should be marked with honesty, righteous anger, vigilance, hard work, generosity, edification, encouragement, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. These should describe every new creature in Christ. These are the new manners that reflect our new man and with a new mind. So our challenge is simple today as I close. Do your manners reflect Christ? Probably not all the time, unfortunately. But be quick to repent. I told my wife yesterday, Christian life, in so many words, I'm, I'm keeping some things out because I'm using the Fifth Amendment because I don't want to incriminate myself. But I was telling her the other day, um, you know, the Christian life or life in general is about repentance and forgiveness. And she says, yeah, you repent and I forgive. <laughs> like, amen, amen. 
So we wouldn't have to repent all, all that often if our manners reflected the new man that was within us. So do your manners reflect Christ? Does your mind reflect Christ? And are you a new man in Christ? Are you created in Christ?